The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I'm going to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, the power of water and water life science. What is water life science? <clears throat> Many years ago, I had decided that we have a problem on this planet. We're not taking the infrastructure of our planet serious, and we're electing our politicians by whatever, and once they get into office, they begin to do what they think is important, but they forget one thing. And I recently saw where Donald Trump, and I have to say this, said that he was going to make water as an infrastructure priority, number one, with the infrastructure. I cried. The world has to get serious about water. W-A-T-E-R. So sad because we've taken it so much for granted. For thousands of years, I don't think they did. But the radio show that I started 10 years ago now was the most wonderful guest coming in to be able to relate to you and share with you their dedication to their research. And today we have Dr. Dwayne Cecil, Ph.D., who is the founder of Sustainable Earth Observation System, has been with NASA, NOAA, and all over the world. He's a principal scientist in his, what he does. And he's been studying for many years. He's a Ph.D. globally. Dr. Neil Grigg, Ph.D., from the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Fort Collins in Colorado. He has been studying the impact and what is happening with water on the ground and also the atmosphere. Both of these scientists will be with you today to help relate with me, almost like you're eavesdropping in the research lab of what has happened here with our planet Earth and how important it will, it will be that we make water the number one infrastructure all over the planet and influence that. And this is why many, many years ago I was studying stress. And I could see where stress had a relationship that we had not really understood. But this is what happened and where our discoveries came with biologic aqua research and water life science. The Earth had around it the, what they call the blue ball of Earth, but it was the water vapor clear around the whole circle of Earth. That water vapor had a mist. All of a sudden, after billions of years, 
I had a heavier evaporation rather than the evaporation of a mist. It evaporated a heavier droplet and it rain came down. Where you're at today is that droplet of evaporation is the water vapor in the atmosphere that keeps you alive. Without that water vapor in the atmosphere, you would not be alive. We would be sand. We would be dust. Everything on earth depends upon that water vapor, the cloud system. You as a person are evaporating daily from birth. In your mother's womb, you were embellished in a, in a formulation of water. And as that formulated per organ, and you have a percentage of water per organ of your body, your liver, your heart, your bones, your teeth, your, your kidneys, your skin, your brain. But a lot of people didn't know until they came to me how serious it is with the eyes. Eyes at the surface are 99% water connected to the brain in the womb at the same breath. Behind the eyes is the brain, 80 to 85% water. Now, nature taught us something there. And as I began to study that for research, for ophthalmology research many years ago, because they were worried about out-of-control vision impairment to blindness, they, uh, had, nobody had really been educating us that that water at the surface of your eye could be causing stress if it over-evaporates. You need to supplement that water like you drink water. Every wa- everything about your life is water. You must supplement those organs every day with not juices, coffee, compounded waters. You've got to add plain water to your diet every day by the full glass. And as I learned, there are five things that are going to be relating to what we're going to be discussing with the scientists today. And this will be a new discovery today to listen to. We're going to discuss evaporation of human life and what is happening to the evaporation of your atmosphere, the evaporation of water on the surface of the earth. That's what will diminish earth's sustainability and for earth to be here for eternity. You must learn how to breathe in through the nose, push it out through the mouth to filter your body. That's breathing in the water vapor through the nose and then filtering out with pushing it out through the mouth. Two, drink your glass of water by the glass, full glass, each time. It needs to absorb. Let your body make the decision, not you by the sip. Eight glasses, no less. So if you should go to the bathroom more commonly, remember the skin filters out more and the body than you actually go to the bathroom. You need to learn to detoxify. Number three, eating the proper food. We've had on here the founders of China Study, Dr. Esselstein, who is the founder of Prevent Heart Disease. I could go on. On the whole food diet that they're finding that is out there that is absolutely a miracle worker to save people's lives and also do some cure. Number four, moderate exercise. Number five, sleep, like the earth learns to sleep. Those five things. They're vital to your health. 
This show is about what we can learn from the guests we bring in and what we can add to the future of new discovery and making a better health, better educated health for your planet Earth. And make water your number one focus. Water life science is going to be in your vocabulary for a long term. We're going to listen to our sponsor. Recently, when I was watching the debate with um, uh, Secretary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump, uh, our billionaire businessman, I could see that their eyes were just exhausted. They almost looked like they were burning. They looked like they were almost not even open. I noticed that they were having very serious situations with the eyes. But if they'd used nature's tears I missed before they had gone on to the stage for their debate, it would have given them the eyes a chance to have a supplementation to being healthier, much more aware, whiter, much healthier, and probably the brain, which is connected to the eyes, is 80 to 85% water, would have been much healthier. I would suggest that all of you think that nature's tears I miss to supplement every day the eyes is vital to the health of your brain, vital to the health of your eyes. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be back with our guest here in a moment. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Cecil, are you with us? I am. Dr. Greg, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Hello, Sharon. Well, I'd, li- I'd like to introduce to the two of you. Um, you've never met. I need the audience to know that you haven't met. You both have been into the water research for between 35 and 40 years. Um, audience, I want you to meet Dr. Neil Grigg from the University of Colorado, who's been studying water for many, many years, and Dr. Dwayne Cecil, who is both are PhDs, who's been studying water with NASA, NOAA, and all over the world, both of them. Let's open up our conversation because it's, I was really ex, very excited today about both of you being on and picking each other's brains on a subject of what has happened 
to the infrastructure worldwide, let's start out with that, not to study water, to make it a number one infrastructure. We'll start out with you, uh, Dr. Greg. Why do you think it's the most vital resource of our planet, of health and sustainability for the whole planet? It's unbelievably valuable to the economy. Second, what do you think happened here? Well, um, I think the the short answer to your question, which has got a lot of different parts to it, is um, that water is essential for everything that we do, and there's a limited amount of it, uh, a lot of competition for it. It's oftentimes expensive uh, to develop it. It gets polluted. Uh, a lot of people are in poverty around the world. They can't afford the systems to access it, so... Uh, the total effect of all of that um, means that it's a resource which rises to the top priority for everybody, and a lot of work is needed to keep it um, in good shape. Okay. And do you think, Dr. Greg, then, that it's the money? Uh, I see, uh, is it the money that gets cost? That's, they're not uh, developing water as the number one priority because of lack of funding? Well, money is often a problem, especially in cities where you have really expensive infrastructure. But the biggest problem with water around the world is political and social uh, because the systems that we have for governance uh, to work together to people to um, develop the water and to keep it clean and, and, and use it wisely for all purposes uh, involves so many different conflicts. Uh, there, there are many um, just issues that haven't been resolved. Take, for example, a large city anywhere where the, a lot of the people are maybe recent migrants that are there. Uh, they don't know each other. They're not working together. The government doesn't work too well. The bottom of, uh, line of that is going to be that uh, a lot of deprived people. So they need the money uh, always, uh, but on the other hand, they, we need to have systems where people can work together better than they do now. Dr. Cecil, what do you think about uh, that? Uh, what, what we should be thinking? You've been around the world like Dr. Greg. Why are they not making water when it's the most important life existence and health of our planet, health of our body, which we're going to discuss here soon with evaporation? What do you think, what have you thought about, what's your analysis of this? Well, I'll give you a, a Quick example, excuse me, it's pretty, pretty striking. You look at the most uh, developed nation in the world, the, the richest nation in the world, the United States, and we don't have a water policy. And I worked in the, in the federal sector for 31 years with NASA NOAA and U.S. Geological Survey, parts of teams for Department of Interior, Department of Commerce. Uh, we worked with the uh, Army Corps of Engineers, the Bureau of Reclamation, and we don't have a water policy. And we've tried and tried and tried. We don't have a climate change policy. We don't have a water policy in this country. We don't have an energy policy in this country. And we're the most developed, highly educated, richest nation in the world, and we have no policy governing and guiding us and what we're going to do with this valuable resource. And if, and if we don't have one, you know, a lot of the countries around the world use the United States as a model. The United Nations has attempted to do this, but there's so many politics involved and so many regional and local entities that if it's not important to them, then it doesn't come to the forefront. And I've used this another example before on this show is when I was the 
Western Region Climate Services Director for NOAA and worked out of the Salt Lake City Regional uh, Weather Service Office. First meeting I went to was with the Western Governors Association, and I walked in the room talking about climate change and, and what kinds of products and data sets and services that NOAA could offer, and I lost every single governor in the room when I said climate change, whether they were Democrat, Independent, Republican. The next meeting I went to with Western Governors, I went into the meeting and, and had the floor and talked about the three most important things to all of them, water, 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 and I had all their attention. So it, if you uh-huh. can take that resource okay. and put it in perspective for the audience that you're talking to or the audience that you're working for, then they understand, they begin to understand, and, and in their day-to-day lives, they don't really oftentimes don't have time to think about how valuable that resource is to them. Right. And, and again, we have no policy. We have no water policy in this country. Neil, be sure, both of you, uh, Dr. Greg and Dr. Cecil, ask each other questions, too. Uh, I want you to participate with each other today, too. I think it's going to be very important to the audience uh, that you also ask each other questions. Uh, Dr. Greg, what did you think about his uh, evaluation there? Well, of course, it's exactly right, and I've had um, many experiences uh, that are the same, and there are a lot of reasons for that. If you take uh, the lack of water policy at the United States uh, government level, um, it's it's true. That's not that the government has not tried to develop a policy. Many years ago, I participated with a group that was called the National Water Commission. Uh, that was in from 1968 to about 1972 and 73 thereabouts. And later, we hired their chief engineer to be faculty member here at Colorado State University, where I work. And um, I worked with him very closely. He and I developed a course together. Uh, all of those people working on that national commission were very frustrated in trying to develop a national water policy because there's so many different interests involved, so many conflicting points of view that it's impossible to converge it all down into one policy. So the result is we've got a lot of individual policies on different things like clean uh, drinking, safe drinking water, uh, clean water in rivers, flood control policy, and things like that. Even those policies are extremely hard to develop and to uh, implement. Um, so Dr. Cecil is exactly right, and, and I've also worked with some governors, and I, I know they're interested in what their constituents uh, are focusing on. Their constituents are concerned with water for their farms or cities or whatever. If you use something, <clears throat> a term with them like climate change, which seems kind of abstract, uh, you not only will lose them in some cases, unless they're working on it politically, uh, you might even be in a conflict uh, with them in other cases. So I know colleagues that I work with in different states who are not allowed to use the term climate change because it's politically incorrect in their uh, states. And so it's a real dilemma. So I totally agree with what Dr. Cecil says there. Now, do you both believe something, you know, because I'm a common sense person. Do you believe... And either one of you can come out on this one, that people are not educated, even the governors, politicians are not educated about what this is all about uh, because they depend upon the scientists and people involved in research and people like myself to be the educators. They're, they, they're not, they don't understand how to build a business plan. Let's just don't call it a policy. Build a plan, like a business, because they're spending money. 
a business plan to develop a future of, of a new development and priority to water, but as a business would be developed carefully, slowly as you build your IP values to the future of how you develop that. Then you're taking your coin, your money, and you're developing it with what you think is priority and then as you move to try to accomplish after a certain period of time. What do you both think about that? You're talking about politicians that are making policy decisions for state and local governments and federal governments, and they're thinking in terms of two years, four years, and six years. They aren't visionary. They don't think about 20 years in the future or 30 years in the future. They think about what do I need to do for my constituents to be reelected. And we're in this okay. vicious cycle of, of the people that are making decisions. I mean, can you name me a visionary politician on the federal level right now in the United States? I mean, we had them 30, 40 years ago, but, I mean, it's, they're, they're more immediate and they're worried about what their constituents want now so they can satisfy, scratch that itch, satisfy that need for their constituents. And it may be honorable, and most times is, but they aren't visionary and they aren't thinking of past Re-election. And when we, when we bring, come back to climate change information, we did a study in the agricultural section, sector, I'm sorry, agricultural sector, looking at the, the time scale that stakeholders in the agricultural sector worried about weather and climate. And the farmer is from today out to a year. Crop breeders, out to 10 years. And reinsurance companies for agriculture, they look at decadal to century timescales. So it, it's, it's a matter of perspective. From the politician's perspective, it's two, four, and six years. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, Dr. Gray? Well, that's exactly right. And there's, uh, there's other factors that I'm increasingly concerned about. i try to expl- uh, describe it kind of simply and briefly, but it is this. I used to think that um, the world would... Um, behave in a rational way, and so what you could do on an issue like water, you could develop a business plan, uh, you could um, get the people to understand, uh, and then you could implement that. But I don't think that anymore. I think the world operates in an irrational way, and one part of that is for these politicians not to be thinking about the public good uh, today, but to be thinking about the time scales when they're going to be reelected and things like that. But even more than that, um, I think that there's plenty of people who are uh, in political office, but also ordinary citizens who are really smart uh, and who can grasp this. And it isn't a matter of them being educated so much as it is a matter of them willing to be educated and to listen to truth and facts mm-hmm. rather than rumors and, you know, falsifications and so on. And you can see a lot of that in the current election campaign that's going on. When I talk to people about that, they're not going by real facts. They're going by something somebody told them. Emotional. Yeah, emotional, conspiracy theories, uh, all kinds of stuff. And so they're operating irrationally. But that's that's a reality. And we have to figure out how to make it better in spite of that uh, going on. And, you you know, something to think about. Do you believe it's because of our... uh, the fact that we've gotten to where the news media, and I hate to sound almost corny about it, but do you believe that we've all depended upon the news media so much to inform us that we're, uh, we're that, that they have a really, um, a, we're very vulnerable to that in our everyday life rather than going out in the old world we used to study 
the differences between reports. Now we're not really studying the differences between these reports. Do you think that's why we're more vulnerable? I think so. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the Internet and the instant information. Of, there we go, Dad. Of the whole thing. And so and newspapers are not as popular anymore, and, and encyclopedias are gone. There's nobody uh, publishing those anymore. And so uh, the people are just taking these little tidbits of information and trying to put it together. Yeah, and, and, and so, we, yeah, that's what happens. These I people, agree. Like Dr. Cecil, you know, when the, the mother and the father come running home from a, maybe a 30-minute drive, a 45-minute drive, or had to stop at the grocery store and the uh, distractions, and then all of a sudden they have to get a dinner, and it's usually pretty late nowadays, and then uh, they're distracted. They're depending upon the people who they're electing to be the safety of their lives. And water would be in the category of safety. Don't you think, Dr. Cecil? Oh, absolutely, and I, I couldn't agree more with what Dr. Greg just said about the Internet and, and the accessibility we all have to instantaneous information. So, Dr. Greg, I have a question for you. How, how long have you been at Colorado State? How long have you been in the academic sector and teaching and, and, mon- and mentoring? I first came here as a professor in 1972, um, I've been here most of the time except for one brief sojourn in uh, North Carolina uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, where I worked in state government and North Carolina State University. Okay, and so I'm sure you've seen a dramatic change in, in research that your students do. I mean, you don't have to do research anymore. Professor Google knows everything. You get on the Internet and you type in any kind of question you have or a topic, you get a ton of information that you can pick and choose and cut and paste and plagiarize and put your reports together and I mean we've, we've become lazy because of the internet it's a fantastic uh, resource Cecil, something else there I hate to interrupt you for a minute but I have to tell you both something which you just said there is are they checking are they fact checking fact checking the resources my team over here when they go in and he goes in and he goes to look for things he goes in and fact checks it one time just recently this is just recently he goes in and explains to them they didn't describe that correctly. They were apologetic and went back and did it again. Well, so, you, have, you have both the era <clears throat> where there's no fact-checking, and you also have a lack of synthesis, which I think Dr. Cecil is kind of alluding to, that they may have a lot of facts and they can put it together, but they may not understand what it means altogether because it hadn't been reasoned out. It's just the information is just dropped in in places like that. And in engineering education, which is where I work, <clears throat> that's one of our main problems. The students can find any number that they need. They can get models. You know, they can find, they can get all kind of technologies to produce information on a piece of paper. But whether it's, um, it's synthesized and, and worked together so that it really is addressing the issue, the underlying issue, that requires a different level of understanding and wisdom, which you, you don't get from the Internet. Right. Now, both Dr. Cecil, what do you think about the common sense of, you know, that's where I always come from. What is happening to the common sense that people are not being educated to the streets of America, throughout the world. Yes, everybody has a survival instinct of water. Uh, they, uh, we had here in the United States such an, an affluent place to be, 
and such an intellectual uh, society of people where children in Northern California had no water. They had to go to school without their clothes being washed because the community of that place did not have water. They uh, are having to decide how to do this from a mountain above, but they didn't do it soon enough for these children to have a shower, flush the toilet, wash the clothes. They were out of water. What do you think, what's the common sense for people to to, uh, uh, proactively build an infrastructure of what's the safety of their society of where they're living? Well, I certainly think that local planners and and local politicians and decision makers are concerned about those kinds of things, but they probably have so much on their platter that we tend to be more reactionary. And so when something like uh, lead and water in Flint, Michigan rears its head, then everybody reacts and we do something about it. But again, to come back to a local level, not only do we not have a national water policy, but I, I haven't seen any statistics or any reports, but it'd be interesting to look and see how many municipalities of a certain size, say a million people or more, have have policies in place to respond to water shortages and and water pollution, and or is it all reactionary? It's again, these politicians are thinking in two, four, and six year terms, and how many of them are going to spend the time that is needed during their term or terms? I mean, it's rare when you get a mayor like the mayor of Charleston has just retired, just announced he's retiring. He's been mayor for 40 years. Um, it's Joe, can't think of his last name. He's been mayor of that they're, city they're for 40 North years. North Carolina. Uh, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina. South Carolina. Uh, I'd be surprised if Charleston, South Carolina doesn't have a plan in place for water shortages and water pollution and, and what, probably has a water policy in place. When you've got somebody in place that cares about their community for that long, you're going to have some plans in place to, to be able to carry out and respond to these the extreme weather events or whatever it is, drought conditions. Um, you can respond to them if, if you have a plan in place. And a lot of these local and state municipalities and, and regions depend on the federal government. And again, the federal government doesn't have a plan in place. So there's, there's a lot that could be done. And, and in terms of education, I'll come back to the field that I work in, climate science and applications. We in the United States, our community has done a pretty poor job of, of educating the decision makers and the public about climate change. There's no other country that I work in in the world that... I can't talk about climate. I talk about it anyway, but if you talk about climate change in the United States, you lose part of your audience. Some part of your audience is is contrarian and says there is no climate change. In this country, we have not done a very good job. My my field, climate science and application. You both noticed a word that I use today. Did you notice a word I use today? Safety and water. I truly believe you're not safe where you live, if your water isn't a priority of your health for the safety of your life, number one. Now, we're going to take a break and because uh, I only do this once, and we're going to come back and talk about human life and what's happening here with the lack of safety of water and what to make sure that everybody has enough water. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We'll listen to our sponsor, 
Nature's tears I missed with just a mist. The surface of your eye is 99% water. Connected to the brain that is 80 to 85% water. If your eyes are blurry and exhausted and perspiration or feeling uh, like they're heavy, you're sitting at a computer, you're driving a car, you're, you're, all these symptoms are because of evaporation of the tear film that is 99% water, causes vision impairment to blindness. They have predicted by 2030, there will be multi-millions of people blind. And that's why the supplement is so important. Eye drops don't supplement, they trap moisture. They don't supplement the surface of the eye. The surface of the eye is open to the water vapor of the atmosphere to help supplement. But when you can't get enough supplement from the water vapor evaporating, you need to supplement with just a mist. And it's tissue culture grape water. Nature's tears, eye mist. And we'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil and Dr. Grape. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Cecil, would you educate our audience about our planet Earth and billions of years ago? about when you were at NASA, what they call the water vapor around the Earth for so many billions of years before the droplet of rain came down. Could you describe that to educate them about what that was all about? I I will, but before I do that, I would like to just take a minute to talk about something that the World Meteorological Organization announced this morning. I don't know if you've, you've heard it on your NPR radio or not, but... WMO has a a series of, I think it's about 120 observation stations in key parts of the world where they measure greenhouse gases, and in particular, they measure carbon dioxide, methane, and uh, nitrous oxide. Mm -hmm. And they announced this morning that in 2015, for the first time, our atmosphere has gone above 400 parts per million carbon dioxide since we've been measuring it closely. And what that means is that if you have a volume of air, 
whatever it is, a cup full, if you have a million of those, 400 of them are now CO2 in a million. So 400 parts per million. It's the first time since we've been measuring it. And we can go back at the uh, polar ice cores in the Antarctic. We can go back 800,000 years, and this is way above anything that we can measure in the polar ice cores. And it's about, wow. a, about a 44% increase in the carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere since the Industrial Revolution started in the late 1700s. So you think about that just a little bit, that we have gone above 400 parts per million, and it will be literally, unless we do something very drastic, which we won't do, it's going to be thousands of years before we could ever get below that level again. And and explain that to the audience, it, Doctor. Explain that, you know, because some people are not going to understand that. Okay, so if, if we just stop putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere today, which we can't do because the, the, the major part of the CO2 in the atmosphere is coming from the burning of fossil fuels, oil, gas, coal, and developing nations like China and India, which are over a billion people each and are booming economies and, and their industries are, are developing rapidly and using mostly coal fire to do that rapid development. Uh, for example, in, in China, I've seen statistics that one new coal-fired power plant to produce electricity goes online, a new one goes online in China every month. And India is not too far behind in their development. And so as we produce more and more carbon dioxide and we put it in the atmosphere, it, it's a positive feedback and we, we warm the atmosphere up. And we've talked about this before and it's, it's a, uh, ener- essentially an energy balance equation in the atmosphere. And so we are trapping more of the sun's energy in our atmosphere that cannot escape back out into space and we're heating the atmosphere up. And as we do this, it comes back to water because as we heat the atmosphere up, we evaporate more water from the oceans and we get more water vapor in our atmosphere. What we don't know happens is where, do, where does that water vapor go? So we're getting drought in areas that we haven't had extensive drought before. We're getting flooding in areas where we haven't had extensive flooding before. And, and so that the, the planet moves that extra energy in the atmosphere around by storms, by weather. And that's how the energy's moved around. And so we just saw what Matthew did. I, I live in North Carolina, and I was just in South Carolina all last week assessing the damage along Pauley's Island and Myrtle Beach and Charleston and from Matthew. And it's been a long time since we had that kind of an extreme event hit the eastern coast of the United States and the eastern coast of Florida. And we just had Sandy in 2013 hit New Jersey and New York. So it appears in the data that these extreme events are becoming more often, and I don't know that I'm convinced yet that they're more severe, but there's more of us in the way. There are more people in the way, more infrastructure in the way. Our water resources are being impacted from these extreme events, which are being driven by changes in the atmosphere. Now, we can argue all day long if it's human-induced or it's a natural climate change. And you know, Sharon, I've said before it, it doesn't matter to me what the driver is. What matters to me is that we have, with climate change, we have time to react and we have time to plan, build our water policies, 
um, get our people away from the coastal areas where it makes sense to get them away from the coastal areas and get them closer to the water and food resources. And we have no plan in place anywhere in the world that I know of that addresses those kinds of challenges and changes that are coming. Okay, now what I'm going to do here is the education real quickly before we go to Dr. Greg on that one is the earth, people have to realize how earth began and the water droplets fell with evaporation. We need to emphasize, if we could today, both of you, the evaporation of our planet. To to myself and my studies, and you've given me the backups and others throughout the world have too, is earth began with that. And what is happening, the way you were describing to us, Dr. Cecil, is there is an evaporation happening because of that problem to the atmosphere's water vapor. And the water vapor is what keeps everything alive or an eco-balance, if it can be sustainable. But, Dr. Greg, what are you thinking? Because uh, I know over at uh, uh, Colorado, uh, there, University of Colorado, you said you were, talking, you were studying evaporation of plant life. Could you tell me a little more about that? Well, with water shortages, um, oh, and by the way, Sharon, it's Colorado State University. That is a little different. Than oh, the University I'm Colorado. sorry. <laughs> no problem. Colorado but, State. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. In, anyway, um, the... Um, uh, the evaporation and the evapotranspiration are both big factors in um, extreme events like drought. Of course, out here in the West, particularly in Colorado and Utah and New Mexico and all of these states like that, <clears throat> water is such a precious commodity that we want to measure every drop and preserve every drop. So if you have an increase in evaporation because you have a drought and because it's hotter, <clears throat> there's more sun bearing down on the water or the soil, uh, it's got some dramatic effects like that. So we have extensive research programs trying to figure out the nature of the evaporation, um, the consumptive uh, use of crops of different kinds, the evapotranspiration, which means uh, the amount of water that's being pumped up through uh, plants of different kinds so that we can control that and manage the water in, in a total sense. It's becoming a big industry out here. So all right. of that is, is about evaporation and, of course, is a complex subject, uh, a lot more to be said about it, but that's one of the mm-hmm. sets of things that's going on here. Yeah, uh, in fact, Dr. Cecil and I have talked about that, um, Dr. Greg, is evaporation it should be at the top of everything. Because if they're learning uh, about what is happening with the evaporate, because the Earth began that way, as everything began to real uh, to communicate with that energy, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll remind both of you, um, Dr. Cecil, have you ever found time to listen to Dr. Pollock, the radio show with Dr. Pollock from University of Washington, and I? Uh, just a little bit of it. I didn't get to listen okay, to all Okay, well, it. Dr. Greg, Dr. Pollock has been on here a few times, and he has a research uh, project at the University, uh, University of Washington for 10 years, and he found a fourth water in the body, and he, that fourth water is like a gel substance. And I mentioned, well, that's what's slowing down the evaporation of body water loss in human life so it doesn't go out of control. So he said that's true. 
and he was teaching us with their research, Dr. Greg, that the body is a walking battery, and the battery is charged with the water vapor. But, Doctor, when the baby comes to the planet to live at that spot, it left a pocket of water. But each of those organs is a percentage of water. And when that baby comes to that spot, is what I learned, that evaporation begins right away, immediately, out of control. Because that's a life cycle. That baby, there are no two eyes alike, fingerprints, and more. So the baby's evaporation is very individual. Now, way back in time, they were learning, as they were coming up to the 1800s, that water could be the way to find cures of illness, symptoms, disease. But what happened, both of you, is I had learned it in my studies, he learned it in his, is I decided what happened. They stopped studying it because they were being intimidated, humiliated, embarrassed that the water research that they were finding couldn't be protected by IP protection or a patent. So they were embarrassed, humiliated, intimidated to stop in different countries. So they stopped. So they went about their studies in a different, like a smaller, like a little Petri dish, a tube, a different direction. They left the water study behind and the evaporation of what they could learn. Uh, along the way, here comes who, where I came from. And I said, if that's what the case is so far back, I'm putting my spurs in the ground my research center and my investment group are going to study this. We won't be influenced to quit. We'll, we'll, we'll follow it through. And what he found out is there would be no cures for human disease and life, illnesses, symptoms, if they don't get back to water again. They have to. But as I have learned, both of you, and I won't get into this very lengthy, but one time... I was taken to a company of a nice size by another huge company that had enormous water worldwide investments. They were so excited about what I was doing with the eyes. They came back later from that huge company, the chairman, and said, Sharon, none of my people have been studying water. They don't even know where to begin. So you see what's happened here. It's not just what we're talking about today. But our society, our uh, professionals, stop studying water for human life. And human life is evaporation. What keeps human life alive is the water vapor of the atmosphere and its evaporation. But everything is influenced, and I want you two to open this up with discussion. Everything, I believe, is influenced by the fresh water that is on the surface of our planet. Because when that fresh water was what brought life to where we're coming and everything is out there as a species alive, as an individual species, whether it be the moss, the fern, the species of the trees, all the spe- everything that came depended upon that water vapor of evaporation. Now we are learning that evaporation needs to be studied in human life because they've never studied it enough. They call it dehydration, but it's evaporation 
to severe death, dehydration. What is a disease? It's like the, uh, the Nobel winner in Japan recently was able to win an award because of the waste that's in the cell. Well, that is because the body is over-evaporating, not able to detoxify, filter itself out. The earth is going through exactly the same symptoms, exactly, as a human body. So I'll let you both open up, Dr. Cecil, will let you go. What do you think about what I just said about evaporation? Well, I know in, in the reading I've and it, it's your field and, and Dr. Pollock's field, but in the reading I've done, I mean, there's there's no definitive evidence that um, is there an ability for water to prevent headaches in in a, a wide population, for instance, or what effect does does moisture have on the aging of the skin? There's not a lot of documentation on those kinds of things, and there's lots of of research that could be done. Um, how is is cancer uh, affected or, or um, how does it begin depending on, on hydration level in the human body and, and that's another thing that in the reading that I've done that there's no consensus on what a, a gold standard is for human hydration and I think it's obviously it's going to be different from individual to individual but I can bring it back to my field and talk about some of the things that Dr. Greg just mentioned and when you look at how we understand climate change and weather events, the, the biggest uncertainties that we have in our, unsta- our understanding, and they're the biggest uncertainties we have in all the models that we try to use to try to understand as a tool, not as an answer, but use the model as a tool to understand the processes. The big uncertainties are evapotranspiration and evaporation and soil moisture and clouds, and clouds are part of the hydrologic cycle. And so... Water plays in all of those, and we, we just don't understand the processes on a global scale and then try to bring it down to a regional scale and those in a local scale. Now you're starting to talk about the health effects that you want to look at are going to be right. different from we individual to. to individual to individual. So are these, these processes are that affect right. the weather and climate, these processes are going to be different in different terrains and different weather and climate regimes and different time scales. We don't understand those things well. Dr. Greg, what have you been studying? What have you been learning with the plant life? Because our research center, hopefully next year we'll get, be able to break ground, but we want to have greenhouses to study the behavior of evaporation and, and relate it to human evaporation studies and disease. What have you been learning, with, what you've been learning about evaporation of plants? Well, I have a lot of personal experience with that, which I'll relate quickly. Dr. Cecil is correct. There doesn't seem to be any consensus on the gold standard level of hydration in the human body, but we do know that human bodies are a large percentage of water, 70 80%. I don't have the exact number like that, but it's very high. The personal experience that I can relate to you has to do with dehydration, which is a big issue out here in Colorado, and uh, two personal uh, stories about dehydration up on the hiking trail or bicycling or any place that you have really intense exercise, which I do a lot of. Number one, if you get dehydrated, um, it's going to mess up your brain, and you're going to become confused, and you might make some mistakes. Um, and I've got a case with, that that happened to me up in uh, Longs Peak, which is one of our high mountains up here. And, 
you get up there and you can get into trouble pretty quickly due to that dehydration, which is due to the evaporation and the loss of moisture um, in all of your body systems. Number two, um, the dehydration is going to affect your muscles big time. And I've had so many muscle cramps from improper hydration, um, which caused by uh, uh, ultimately by dehydration, you know, up on the bike trail, up in the mountains and all of that. I can tell you that's extremely painful to have those muscle cramps. So those two examples of, of how this dehydration uh, or lack of proper hydration, all caused by the evaporation process and rehydration, two examples of adverse effects on the human body. Well, the doctors now, we've opened up chapter globally, and they're all excited about studying this because in the 1800s, it came to a dead standstill, and uh, they were proving it. They were, uh, they were just about to that evidence of, of being able to, without any question, be able to find potential evaporation diseases of what is happening to these individuals, all life on the planet, of what they could relate to, to people's over-evaporation of body water loss individually. And um, that future, but I have to tell you, Dr. Greg, I think it's going to be found in the plant life. Uh, the plant life relationship to the human life, to me, I've learned and others have learned, is so relationship is that how they relate to the water vapor of the atmosphere and the water, uh, the water on the, the fresh water that's being allowed to sit on the surface of the planet. Did you, did you follow me, what I just said, Dr. Cecil, allowed? <laughs> it's all draining to the ocean. <laughs> Every time I see a storm... I think of, oh, my gosh, all that water is going to drain. It's going to fill up the aquifers, but it's going to drain to the ocean, and they're not going to put it in to perspective to what they need for the, for the day that they would like to have it available for the water vapor, the air to be healthy, and then also for what they need to keep a healthier planet on the surface, not just below in the aquifers. We only have a minute left for both of us, for all, both of you. Dr. Grigg, would you like to say something at the end, how, what, you, what you're going to try to look for and what you're studying? And uh, then I'll let Dr. Cecil close. Well, um, it, it's a matter of understanding the full range of all these phenomena that we're talking about uh, to create a comprehensive way to manage water in a total sense. That's what's missing in any water policy or any scientific study or management action, and it requires a lot of uh, cooperation to consider many things working together, the quality of water as well as the quantity of water, the timing of water, satisfaction of all environmental needs, protection of natural disasters, and so on. People don't have a real good view of how complex all of this is, um, and that's what we're going to be studying uh, here at Colorado State is to try to equip the students who graduate at all levels all different disciplines, try to equip them so that they can do a better job in the future than we have in the past. Can you imagine the global jobs that would be available to that technology if we put a priority to that? Dr. Cecil, what, what would you like to close with? Well, I think uh, I'd like to close with one word. That's sustainability. And so everything okay. that, that we're working on and, and what we're trying to do is trying to come up with plans and, and designs and engineering and science that 
makes our, our mm-hmm. lifestyles sustainable and, and acceptable on a global scale. And, and we're really out of balance right now uh, in terms okay, well, of lifestyle. Well, we're out of time. I am so sorry. I, I knew this was going to go too fast. <laughs> I want to thank you both for giving us the opportunity to hear both of you. And by gosh, I hope you'll do this again with us because there's so much to teach and there's so much that you can teach us. I want to thank you both for coming and giving us your out, out of your busy schedule. You have a nice day. Thank you, Thanks, Sharon. Sharon. Thank you again. Bye, Dr. Greg. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you so much, both of you. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Embrace your life every special second because it belongs to somebody else, too. And you brace their life, too, and this planet. But Earth is whispering. Don't take it all with you. Leave something of yourself or all the children of for generations to know you cared to. Thank you for listening, and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Thank you.